Hey everybody, welcome to Who is Grace Weekly, Grace Church's weekly podcast. My name is John and I'm excited to be your host. Our mission here at Grace is to make and be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We hope these conversations help you live out that mission in your everyday life. We're in a sermon series right now called Better Together and we're looking at the power of the church gathered. So in the podcast this month, we're looking at some key moments in our recent history as a church and then land on a theme that we can talk about with wider application. It will give you some insights into why we are the way we are at Grace, as well as getting some personal biblical life lessons along the way. We'd love for you to share this podcast with others and to like and subscribe so you get notifications for every episode each week. Today, I'll be talking to Pastor Derek about reproduction. So here we are, Pastor D, talking about reproduction. Reproduction. I don't know if we're gaining listeners or losing listeners Listen. with this being our subject matter today, but can you um, if we just... Need a, a birds and the bees moment, we can do that. I um... did not sign up for that. <laughs> and so can you give us like a little Listen. hint of what's coming later in our, our Listen, talk we're here? we're going to attract lots of young people, lots of youth. I want to I tell you that the... the so I got to... I'm going to come back to that. I'll, I'll, I'll fill people in, but let me tell dot, a quick story. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay, great. I had uh, one of our uh, youth come up to me after this past Sunday's service and tell me that my outfit that I wore on Sunday uh-huh. looked drippy. And I didn't know what that meant, so I thought, Were oh, you shoot, I was sweating through my shirt again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only to find out afterwards in Urban Dictionary that drippy is a good thing. Um, it means, like, maximum level of swag. Wow. Which... I. I like that title. I like I I asked Kim, like, do you think I typically have maximum level of swag? She's like, Oh yes, of course. I bet that was her exact <laughs> response to you when you asked her that question. Anyway, reproduction. Uh, we are not talking about health class. My mom was a health teacher, so we could go here, but we're not talking about health class stuff. We are uh, gonna talk about this idea that we believe strongly as a church that we want to be always reproducing, reproducing disciples, reproducing leaders, even reproducing churches. And so that's can, kind of been built into our DNA for a while, and yeah. uh, I want to talk about that, and really the impact that that has on normal people's lives as well. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm a, I'm a product of that uh, at Grace Church and before, and so I think it's a great conversation to have uh, that I'm looking forward to, and I think people will be as well. Won't uh, be as juicy as we maybe made it out to be. It time. might be as drippy, but not as <laughs> not as juicy. Um, so <laughs> before we get into that, it's summertime. I think everyone in Erie is a little bit happier than usual just because the sun is out. And I want to ask you, when you think back to your childhood, what is a great memory of summertime that comes to mind? So I go immediately to, I was probably eight or nine years old, and my dad was a football coach in Corey, Pennsylvania, so not too far from here, about 45 minutes from Erie, and uh, so small town football coach, football's a big deal, and uh, I was the manager, the ball boy, and the, one of the summer memories that it just is etched in my mind is going to double or triple sessions with the football team in the summer. So I'm a little kid. I'm around all the big kids, you know, all the high school kids. You know, you get to hear dirty word every once in a while, and it's a big deal. <laughs> but I think, what, so that was kind of cool, you know, yeah. just being around the big kids. But um, one of the things that sticks in my mind was I got to see my dad with his coaching staff Mm. and the coaches. And so I would like, you know, when, when in between practices and all that kind of stuff, they would hang out in the coach's office, and that was where I was too. And so, like, 
my dad's sense of humor, sarcasm, like the joking around and, and more just the camaraderie and community of that group of people that like knew each other really well yeah, uh, because they were around each other all the time. And so I don't know, it was just, a, it was a rush. It's a rush when I think back, I love sports and, you know, kind of being around that too, but it was just, uh, that that combination of something I love, which is football, my dad getting to see my dad in kind of a different environment than the home, yeah, um, and in his element and being around the big kids and thought that was so cool. That is cool. Yeah, it's like you know, the difference. You go and watch him coach a game, and that's like the backstage pass. Exactly. Of like you're allowed to see, yeah. The behind the scenes yeah. and, and see your dad in action. I remember cool. there was a there was a, a picture in the Corey paper of like me catching a football on the sidelines, uh, like you know uh, when you know talking about my dad as the coach and the team and all this kind of stuff. And it was just kind of a funny little you know childhood memory. It sticks in my mind when you talk about summer childhood. It was hot. I was getting water. The you know the, all the practices and sweat and it was. Yeah. But you didn't go begrudgingly. Like you were pretty oh, eager gosh, and excited yeah. to go oh, yeah, and this, be part of it. Yeah, this was this was the thing. That's cool. What about you? Sorry, what? quick little shout out. Okay, As you yeah, say that, on. the first thing that comes to mind is is Malcolm Bell. Oh and yeah, thinking about him. Yeah, bringing his son little Mal to practice with him and yes. just how that meant a lot to Mal. It meant a lot to little Mal. It meant a lot to all the, the athletes participating. So just as you say that, yep. someone who's like the furthest thing from coaching anyone <laughs> in athletics, I can't relate to the story personally very well, um, but I can, I can see that. And just the coach's like, life is fascinating. I mean, I, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for, for coaches, yeah. you know, sports coaches and otherwise. It's like you think about the impact that the number of lives that those coaches can impact at, at kind of the most malleable period of a kid's life. Um, they, they, in many ways, my dad has had way more impact than I have at being a pastor, even of a large church yeah. because of the just young lives that he impacted for so many years. That's cool. So, and to figure out how to mesh that with family, like as you're raising kids to also be part of it is, yeah. is a cool thing. Totally. Talk about you. What about a childhood? So first of all, childhood memory or memory? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where 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 was your childhood spent? Uh, so suburbs, northern suburbs of Pittsburgh. Shaler was the school district that I, I grew up in, and so I'm picturing being in the neighborhood, playing flashlight tag, oh, and go. being allowed to like stay out after dark and play flashlight tag when I was old enough to do that, and it just felt like the biggest thrill. Like somehow I was in now this elite. Secret society of kids who stayed out past dark, uh, and and just remember that, like how much fun that was. Yeah, running through people's backyards, like for whatever reason, this neighborhood let us run around in their back. Like it didn't feel like anyone was mad that we we're shining flashlights all through their windows or whatever he does. We're trying to play and find each other, and it was just a blast. So I wonder what kid. I wonder what kids miss today, missing all of that. Like, because I, I remember the same thing. Like you, you leave the house in the morning and come back at dark, or in your case, big time after dark. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it's just like, man, I'm not sure kids can do that anymore. You know, you wonder what 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 we're sacrificing because of that. Yeah, all the ingenuity and creative play and you know different stuff that went on because you could just be independent and a little more freedom a little more freedom felt like a yeah a little little more easier to do it's a good question yeah we'll have to have a separate podcast sure. just for that yeah join us for <laughs> season three <laughs> pastor john and pastor Derek pontificating about how, how our summerhood our summer childhood summers have changed our lives it's called uh, the old guy podcast that's right kids these kids days. these days yeah, there it is that's the name perfect of it. it's probably taken but yeah. if not copyright. copyright so reproduction that's not the health class conversation. Right. Uh, you gave us a little intro into that. 
where have you seen this in Grace's history? And, and then we'll we'll get to the part where we talk about what does this look like in our lives as as Christ followers. Yeah, that's good. So I said at the beginning, you know, I, I think we we really focus on three aspects of this. So we want to reproduce disciples, we want to reproduce leaders, we want to rep- reproduce churches. And, you know, it's kind of baked into our DNA a little bit, um, you know, and there's there's been this motto, it's a motto that I heard, you know, kind of early on in my ministry that said, you know, um, living things grow and growing things reproduce. Mm. And, you know, that if a church is alive and living, there's going to be some growth to it. And if, if it's growing, there's going to be reproduction. Now, the pushback on that is that churches have life cycles. And, you know, if you want to take the analogy the whole way and go, well, we stop producing at a, reproducing at a certain age in real life, and we stop growing at a certain age in real life. And so there is some pushback. It's not the perfect analogy. But there's something about, you know, if, if you're alive, it's going to, some, some aspect of what the church is up to is going to be growing. And, mm-hmm. and that if we want to continue that growth, part of that process is reproduction. I think it's, you know, there's plenty of biblical evidence that this was Jesus' intention for his church, you know? So he comes and he says statements like, you know, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Or you go to the Great Commission, which we've built our whole mission statement around, you know, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, and even this transform vision that we're in, we, we use this Acts 1-8 passage where he says, you know, you're going to be my witnesses, and so I want you to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, you know. So there's this idea that there's something about the church that's going to be continuing to reproduce itself. And one of the I had a couple aha moments in seminary about this this concept. So one of them was, you know, we were so individualistic when we read the Bible. I mean, we we just are in general as Western people. But it's fascinating to think that that the we apply parts of the Bible individually that were probably meant to be applied collectively. Hmm. And so you think about something like the Great Commission. The Great Commission, we we apply very individually. So it's like, go into all the world and make disciples. So we're saying, you, John, this is for you. You go into all the world and make disciples or whatever. Yeah. Um, the early church, the first church, applied it collectively. It was a we, it was a we command. And what they did as a result wasn't just make individual disciples, they started new churches. Like yeah. that was how they applied that command of Jesus. And so that's a fascinating thing that kind of opened my eyes to think, okay, you know, a, a lot of the Bible, but these commands specifically were meant to be read in community and applied in community. And so what does that look like for us to apply that in community? It's a little bit different than just an individual application. Um, so, so you're saying yeah. it, it's applicable both ways. Yes. It's a personal, like you, you are called to live it out personally, but but to understand that the original context and the equal application is corporate and communal. Is that what you're yeah, saying with that? It is. And I think it's helped me over the years. This is just for free. It's helped me over the years to remember that we are a hyper individualized society. Hmm. So everything is about me, 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 me. So our ears will hear it that way. Our ears hear it that way. First. Yes. And so we have to... And we apply it that way first. Okay. And I mean, it goes for the whole Bible, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, we, we we read me into the Bible so much, forgetting that the Bible was a we book. You know, it was it was meant for 
groups of people and and collective application. And, you know, in those days, it was a much more communal society. And so um, it's it's helpful to tune our ears a little differently when we hear these commands. And fascinating to me that the Great Commission, for example, was applied collectively by starting new churches, essentially. Yeah, Um, exciting. And so then you look back at Paul, thinking again through that same lens, another aha moment was to begin to look at Paul, who was really the greatest missionary in history, if if we want to go that way, and say, look at how he applied the Great Commission. And he applied it by starting new churches. And What's interesting when you look at Paul's journey, so he had three missionary journeys in the book of Acts that you can trace and you can kind of see his movements through that book. But it's really fascinating when you start thinking about the fact that he had a strategy. Like he wasn't just kind of willy-nilly going around doing whatever. Um, He actually had a, a strategy. So the greatest missionary ever, the greatest application of the Great Commission ever um, he had a strategy as to how he was going to accomplish it. And there were two controlling assumptions that Paul worked on when you look back at his uh, his work. Um, the first was that the way to most permanently influence a region was through its major population centers. And so he, you can see when, when Paul was going to a new region to start a new church, he was going to where the action was. He was going mm-hmm. to the population centers. And then the second controlling assumption is that the way to most permanently influence a city spiritually was to start new churches in it. So it wasn't just individual evangelism. Paul was saying, all right, I'm going to go to the major population centers, and I'm not just going to try to reach people. I'm going to try to start churches. And so that that kind of information was very formative in the way that we were approaching, at least in my early time at Grace, um, approaching our thinking about what the church was supposed to, to do. With this, and so yes, we're supposed to do individual outreach and evangelism and all that kind of stuff. But man, um, there's also a bigger call for the church to be reproducing itself. Um, and you know, you look at <laughs> one of the statistics that always got me was you look at the number of churches that were starting in a year versus the number of churches that were closing down in a year. You know, and I think it was at the time anyway, it was like 1,500 new churches starting, 4,000 churches closing in a year, and going. That's a losing. That's not. That's a losing game. Like, mm-hmm. and the thing, the thing that always struck me is I was saying, you know, if if that was my financial portfolio or anybody's financial portfolio, we would do something about that. Yeah. Going, this is going the wrong direction. And so, um, you know, again, just thinking about the church, going, okay, we we want to contribute on the plus side of this equation and begin some new churches and try to at least counterbalance, you know, the uh, any ground that's being lost. Uh, by churches. And so back in the 80s, it was actually when my family first came to Grace. So I wasn't on staff. I was just a high school kid, high school freshman or sophomore, I think. Um, Grace planted a church uh, in Fairview. That church still exists. Um, It's a great church right now with a great pastor, Kevin Ackerman, that's a a dear friend. but back in those days, in the 80s, you know, there was some good and some bad with planting churches. And really, that's, that's remained true forever. Like, when you plant a church, essentially, it's like a parachute drop, is the way I've heard it described. So you take a bunch of people from the sending church, you drop them into a new location, and after a, a period of starting, you just kind of leave them alone. They become an independent church pretty quickly and are making their own decisions. They have their own board. They have their own budget. They have their own, you know, they get their own pastor. You know, they, they just kind of are on their own. Yeah. And um, so, again, it was a little bit of mixed success, I think, that that happened. It took a long time kind of for that church to, to establish. Um, 
and uh, take that. That was an early thing, and then Grace really never, you know, reproduced another church until you know we were in. I think it was the year uh, 2007, 2008. Pastor Al and I, uh, the senior pastor here before me, Al Detter. Um, I remember going away to uh, Borders Bookstore. So I don't know. If this was before Throwback. your time. Yeah, <laughs> we had Borders down in Pittsburgh right, area. I remember. Yeah. So we had a Borders over in uh, over at the mall in the plaza in the mall, and uh, we were at the Borders Bookstore, and it's where Max, it's right near where Max and Irma's is now. Anyway, this yeah. is eerie referencing, but um, so we were going over our yearly goals. And uh, I remember we were sitting across this table at Borders from each other, and uh, we hated each other's goals, like hated them. <laughs> well, one particular. So one of the ones that I brought forward was, I think it's time for us to do multi-site, to, to, to start a site, not a church plant, but a site that would continue to be Grace Church, and it would have, you know, the way I always thought about it, it, it would have all the benefits of a big church and have all the benefits of a small church too. Yeah. You know? And we, we could kind of leverage both of those benefits in a community. And uh, Al proposed to me at the time, ironically, uh, starting the commons service uh, in the commons, so moving the traditional service out of the worship center and into the commons at the time. And uh, again, we both hated each other's ideas and uh, kind of left that meeting frustrated. And I remember coming back around a couple of weeks later, and we both adopted each other's ideas wow. and said, yeah, I think both of those things are the right thing for us to be doing. And so, you know, part of my motivation at the time, I, I remember back, because I jotted some notes then, which I'm thankful for, because I can go back and reflect on what God was was saying, but... I remember one of the things that was a driving force for me was just this idea that God has blessed our church so much, mm. um, and and His blessings are just overflowing. And we had just moved into the new facility in McCain uh, in 2007, so remember this is 2008. And I just had this, and you you know me, John. This is not unusual, but I just had this sense of like I don't want us to get comfortable, mm -hmm. and I I feared that we moved into a new building, we could kind of sit back and get fat and happy and look how God has blessed us and and just had this driving desire to go, I think we're supposed to turn that blessing into blessing other people. And I don't want to give it enough time that we're going to get too comfortable that we forget to do it. Wow. And so um, another thing was recognizing, especially after the move to McCain, that we were a regional church. And what that meant was we were drawing people from all over the region. So, and, and kind of the, you know, what we talked about at the time was just that, you know, really if people are driving more than 15 or 20 miles to church, it's fine, but <laughs> they're probably not getting involved. Like they're probably just going to come for Sunday and then go home. And then it's kind of too far to, to really be engaged in the community, to really be engaged in the life of the church. Um, and so that was one of the other factors of just going, you know, being a regional church is good in some ways, but it also has these deficiencies that I think we need to, to address. And um, so we engaged our, our elder team at that time. We formed a little research team that read some uh, read some books on multi-site and stuff. We explored some geographical areas. Uh, we put together an 11-page proposal that asked and answered 11 questions. Wow. Um, and the number one question was, why would we do this? And the, the answer to that was to reach more people for Christ. 
And uh, we had unanimous support at that time and entered, entered a season of waiting prayer. And uh, I remember going down to the Bayfront Sheridan Hotel. We were one of the first groups to ever rent a room at the Bayfront Sheridan Hotel. Nice. And we, we met there to talk about multi-site. And, um, this was leaders from grace or the elders. Yeah. Elders and staff leaders. And I remember one of our staff people, after we had presented this idea of multi-site, which is a pretty new idea at the time, one of our leaders said the sentence and I wrote it down in my journal, this changes everything. And that turned out to be really true. Um, and so, uh, we, at that meeting began to talk about where we were, where our first location would be. And uh, the idea was uh, Harbor Creek, and what, you, what? you know it well. <laughs> but you know why Harbor Creek? Well, we had done not only some demographic studies of the region, but also some studies of our own people, our own church, and recognized that the largest demographic attending Grace Church at that time that wasn't from the immediate surrounding area where McCain was located um, was from Harbor Creek, 162 families. And uh, so we also, again, did demographic stuff that said that there were 25,000 people within a seven-mile radius of downtown Harbor Creek that did not have a church home. And so we thought the combination of those two things, like, let's do it. So we met in the high school there for a while, went to New Jersey. I think you were on that trip, maybe. Sure was, Checked out a church in New Jersey that was setting up and tearing down Fall of 2010, yeah. Right, and uh, began to pray and visited local businesses and neighborhoods and prayed for that community. And then uh, April 2011, we had our first uh, first services at Harbor Creek High School. And uh, I remember standing in that circle in that high school, and you guys were, you know, praying for people you hadn't met yet. And uh, we're getting ready to to celebrate 10 years here of that that moment. And uh, we are celebrating 10 years of that moment. And the funny thing to me is, and I want you to talk a little bit about this and your experience of all this, but the funny thing to me is now we've gotten to meet some people that, that we prayed for, that we didn't know their name or face or anything about them. We just knew that God wanted us to help them meet Jesus. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting to be on the other side of that a little bit now and, and to have met so many hundreds of them, you know, that, uh, that God put on our heart at the time. So, yeah. Amen, man. Yeah. So 10 years ago, uh, we launched Harbor Creek and we're celebrating this uh, 10 year anniversary. This is where you are the pastor of these dear people. And, um, I would love to hear you talk about any of those early memories and also just, you know, what has God done in your heart through this journey with, with Grace Harbor Creek and maybe yeah. bring people up to kind of the present moment yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's neat. I think, you know, for those who, are, who go to Grace Harbor Creek now to hear, you know, the, the what, what led to that happening, people who, attend McCain or Grace Online just to appreciate how God has called us to reach more people and that multi-site was one of the ways that we felt called to do that. I remember Pastor Mike approaching uh, Kristen and I um, about being part of that launch team. And we were we were we felt torn of of we've made some really close friendships with people who weren't gonna be going to Harbor Creek. They were gonna still be going to McCain. And were we willing to do that? Were we willing to, were we willing to not see them every Sunday? You know, which is one of those critical touch points during yeah. your week, right? Like we'd still maybe see them in life group, but even then we'd probably be doing life group with people in Harbor Creek. Um, what would that what would that mean? What would that look like? 
and we both and just so people know you were a teacher at the time. I mean, yeah, you, teaching, you were teaching, not on staff. Teaching math at McDowell. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Teaching math at McDowell High School. Pastor Mike Watson had the the courage, faith, tenacity to you know after all his different roles at Grace to go become the first site pastor of when we go multi site, which yeah. I still have such admiration for him for stepping into that and bringing our team together. Yeah. What we both felt was that we wanted people who weren't in church and didn't know Jesus to experience what we had experienced at Grace mm. for themselves. Yeah. To come into church and, and and we both had great experiences in other churches like growing up and in college and you know so, so this wasn't the first great experience of a church but it was special. It was it was mm. it was something that we wanted more people to experience Jesus the way we had through worship, through messages, through ministries here, through life groups, through serving, like all the things of like wow, we we could be part of helping other people who right now don't know Jesus and aren't in church to experience that. So just that, like very personally, was what led us to say yes to be part of that team. Mm. And I think the rest of the team as well to leave McCain, which was comfortable, and to do something new in a high school. Um, and so to, so that's that's just exciting, right? Yeah. And then we launched in, a, in the high school. A few months in, we get noti- notification that there's a church, Fellowship Baptist, in that community that wants to gift us their million dollar building and facility or, or, or and property yeah uh, that they they felt called by God as, as they were going through transition to gift us that and so we spent and we found that out within a few months of being in the high school spent that year finalizing that getting the building ready and, and moved in there August 2012 and so we, we had a, a, a space so, so just the confirmation that God was at work to to allow us to, to reach people with the gospel in that community. And sure enough, there's people showing up who weren't connected to church, who didn't know the Lord, who were who were brothers and sisters and family members and friends. And, and I think that's probably one of the greatest thrills is to see how God's used those those relationships yeah. that people had. And, and the, they are the bridge to other people experiencing the life-changing grace of Jesus. Yeah. So well, let me let me yeah. let me just jump on there because I think one of the things that that I took away from that time was because I don't know if you remember this but the the for whatever reason the Grace Youth couldn't meet at the high school I think they you know they couldn't meet during the week or whatever like that and so we had some youth that were kind of being shuttled around meeting at different places and uh, one of the things that I I reflect on that Grace Harbor Creek taught us early on was just the power of prayer. I mean, mm. I look at Rick Lansbury, like some of the remember those early yeah. people that like God just kind of seemed to drop out of heaven that were advocates for what was going on there. But the youth, um, because they didn't have a place to meet at the high school, began to pray for a building and uh, like earnestly praying with their leaders. And it was right on the heels of that 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 you know out of the blue. Pastor Damon calls and says, hey, this was the funny thing from our end. He says, hey, do you want to come look at my church? And Mike was like, sure. Like there was no explanation. (laughs) Went and toured the church and got done and sat in Damon's office. And he said, so do you want it? (laughs) I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it it was kind of like that. And it's just like, oh my goodness, these these kids prayed. Yeah. And God answered and and showed his hand of favor upon what was happening. That just... I love that. I love to remember that because it was like one of those, God is faithful, God is faithful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. As you're saying that, my mind's going to, to be in, in the building last night. Pastor Damon is there with his wife, Tamara, leading a life group. 
of John Boyer, uh, Russell, Justin, guys who I've seen God change. I've seen God change their hearts and their lives over the last 10 years at different times, some of them very recently. And to see Damon continuing to be part of the kingdom coming and, and such such a, a mentor and leader and disciple maker, disciple maker, reproducer, yeah. continuing to do that is yeah. just so inspiring to me. Well, and, and on that, I mean, Pastor Damon was such an inspiration, I think, to all of us. I mean, I remember our elders just being so moved by his their generosity, you know. And, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's fascinating to me about this, because going forward now, because of COVID, I don't, I don't think we're going to be back in high schools anytime soon. You know, so our, like, multi-site strategy has been really hampered, I think, going forward, and we'll have to rethink that. But one of the one of the options I think is this whole idea of like if there are churches that are kind of coming down the home stretch, um, and maybe attendance has dwindled and they've kind of lost effectiveness and maybe are in a pastoral transition and that's where fellowship was. It's like Damon was ready to retire, the church was fairly small at that point, and instead of it being a closing down and a gas station going there, yeah, <laughs> it was a baton pass to to another church. That, that we could run the next lap, you yeah. know, and, and now we're all part of the same relay team. Um, and, and I just think, I think it's a beautiful model as we think about the future and, and think about, you know, maybe Grace's role in either coming alongside uh, churches that are in that stage of life um, or even there being another baton pass. And I think there's a lot of potential for that going forward. But again, I, m- I remember Damon and that really small group from fellowship that, that, um, you know, made that transition to us, and then they hung around. And I remember walking in one of the days where it was a packed worship center, and I came in the back door, and Damon and a few of those members of fellowship were standing across the back with tears pouring down their eyes, just going, "God did this, God wow. did this." And I, I just—it's just such a beautiful picture. And his yeah. humility and their generosity can't be understated. Yeah, I mean, I, and we're in that new building. I'm regularly just aware that we're on gifted yeah. ground. I mean, the grace of God is just so evident in that to me of like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't earn this. We didn't, you know, we didn't work to, to get this. This was, I mean, the, the building, obviously yeah. a lot of people have sure. generously given to be in that new, new building, but that wouldn't happen if that property wasn't gifted initially. Uh, so it's just really special. Yeah. Any other highlight moments as you think back on Grace Harbor Creek? A lot of highlight moments. A lot of, a lot of highlight moments where I'm I'm picturing people taking that first step into a building. You know, a, a relative that just they never thought would be in church, in church, right? And then coming to Christ. I was thinking about people uh, getting baptized and and joining groups and talking about like I never knew that that I could feel this way in worship. I never knew I could have relationships like this where I could actually be real about the struggles of life and like just all those, I just see people's faces left and right. But the the thing, I, the story I wanted to share was a few weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with Heather Zuber, who was one of the first two people to get baptized at Grace Harbor Creek. And and she and John Phillips were the first two in the lake a summer of 2011, okay? Shout out to John Phillips as well. So she she gave her life to the Lord very early on in, in Grace Harbor Creek. And, and, and so we're sitting together here 10 years later, with a, a mom and her daughter who's in, uh, I want to say maybe she's right around 20 years old, okay? And Heather shares her testimony of how God's shown up in her life and 
changed her life and, and used AJ, her husband, and, and you know a lot of just amazing things, shares that. And we get to hear this mom and daughter talk about their story. And the mom shares how it's her friend who goes to Grace Harbor Creek that invited her. She, she knew the Lord when she was younger, hadn't been in church. It was the friend who was going to Grace Harbor Creek that invited her to her life group, I want to say maybe even before church. And she started coming to service and started coming to life group and just she's on fire for Jesus right now. And so so the mom's sharing this, how her friend was the, was the bridge, shout out to Shelly, in their life group. And then her daughter shares how she had faith, you know, middle school time, went through some really rough stuff in high school. And her mom was like, I'd really like you to come to church on Easter. And that was when she just knew that she could trust God and that Jesus was the Savior that was was the one worth trusting and following. That, every time, just reminds me of that God is, is working, using us very broken, ordinary people to help others find his love and grace. And, and so, yeah, that's just a, a recent one that awesome. fills me up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the emotion that that you're feeling and that we we all feel about this is just this uh, what you just said. How God's using us, you know, He's using us. I think. Let me just share one more one more piece from this, and then let's get personal with what what do we do with this. But um, I think one of the great lessons from from Grace Harbor Creek for me and for us as a church back in 2011 was that this idea that being a multiplying church makes us stronger and not weaker. Mm. And I think the fear of a lot of people was, oh man, if we send 70, 80 people out of McCain, it's going to make McCain weaker. And and it may start a new church, but it's going to make McCain weaker. And it never did. Mm. I mean, as we've multiplied lots of things, including ministries, there's this thing that when you're a sender, when you're a multiplier, God replenishes the supply. He yeah. fills in the gap. And um, I, I think that it's probably a good transition as we think about the personal application of this because you know it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like there's this limited supply of God. It's not like there's lim- limited supply of energy. And that any time you reproduce yourself in another person, it makes you stronger, not weaker. Yeah. You know, it gives you this kind of added energy or this new skill set that you didn't have before because all of a sudden you're doing this this work a little differently than you did. So before we go to that personal, anything so that you want to wrap up on the, on uh, on Grace Harbor Creek or multiplication? Or I don't want to cut you off. I'm I sure just you think, can tell stories all day, right? I think as you as you say that, watching how that that void when a leader steps, you know, into a different role, he goes from McCain to, to Harbor Creek or, or steps out of their role and this leading this life group to go be a life group coach or yeah. steps out, you know, from Grace Kids, from being the volunteer on the team, the leader on the team or whatever it is to start the new, to multiply something. Thinking of just those individuals who've been given the shot to use the gift that God's put in them, you know? And so I just think about, yes. you know, I think about Carrie Grandy and I think about Jake Trojak and I think about, you know, these people that I've I've just watched flourish in, in in ministry in these ways that they wouldn't have necessarily done if we wouldn't have I mean if we wouldn't have launched Grace Harbor Creek, but even yeah. to to continue to to multiply our our reach, even within a site. 
yeah. right? Like there's there's just a there's a really neat thing that happens there. I wouldn't be here, yeah, if we didn't launch Grace Harbor Creek, yeah, right? Like because it just I wouldn't have the opportunity to be needed in that way at Harbor Creek and to be mentored by Pastor Mike and and to be. Yeah. A product of it, so it just it's really cool to think about. It's funny when you think when you think about it like that. It's like we you whenever you do that, you create an urgency of opportunity. So mm. it's like we're doing this, and here's the, here's the thing, and, and we have kind of an urgent need to fill fill these different roles and for people to step up into different areas. Yeah. And it's like almost that combination of urgency and opportunity play together and make for a really g- uh, g- growing environment. You know, where it's like people that maybe weren't energized before all suddenly like, oh man, I think God told me I could do that. Yes. You know, and it's just a really cool, really cool thing. Yeah. That's great. So let's get personal. What does this look like when individuals are saying, okay, there's a call in the Christian life to be reproducers? Yeah. What's that look like on an on a individual level? Yeah, I think, you know, that that the story of the Bible is really the story of God on mission to get his children back. And the sooner that we can realize that as soon as you become a Christian, you are part of that mission, um, not only as one to be reached, but as one who is reaching, uh, it's really, really important. And so, um, you know, I, I think about just some like practical, how do we, how do we reproduce discipleship in other people? And, you know, there've been a lot of ways that this has been tried and done over the years from, you know wearing billboards on the street corner to bullhorns and you're going to hell and, you know, going up with pamphlets in an airport and, you know. That's how I got to grace. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So it's like, you know, I feel like Christians, you know, go back to the Crusades and it's like, well, just going to kill everybody who's not a Christian. You know, I mean, it's just been goofy at times. And so like, what is the best way that we reproduce discipleship or that we share our faith with other people? And I think there are just some good um, principles that that we've learned over the years. And, And I'll just get super practical with people and give, you know, three or four principles here. But like, one is do your hobbies with people outside the church. So it's like we all have hobbies, especially now post-COVID, we're all maybe re-engaging with some of our hobbies. And it's like, you know, a lot of times what what has happened is like when religious people try to to consider who they're going to be friends with, they're kind of sizing the person up morally, you know, and whatever. And you look at Jesus, and when Jesus made a friendship, he, he was just like... I made you in my dinner, let they're my image, let's go to dinner, you know? Yeah. And he was just seeking out people that nobody else was seeking out. Mm. And so I think there's this idea of like, keep doing the stuff that you do, but just do it with people who aren't Christians or who aren't from church, and that's yeah. okay. Um, I, I think another, you know, kind of Jesus uh, discipline is, is just the idea of, you know, jockey for the position of weakness. So, you know, instead of when you're around people kind of beating your chest and talking about how great you are and how much money you make and how great your family is and all this kind of stuff, that there's something so compelling about servanthood and about weakness. And, mm. and um, you know, too often I think when it comes to sharing our faith and that sort of thing, we try to show up with all the answers and just feel like I need to have my apologetics book memorized from from front to back to make sure that no no stone goes unturned kind of thing. And uh, I think we know, like when you're with somebody that's a know-it-all, that they intuitively come off as as fake, you know. And so it's like I think a lot of people look at Christians and think that. And so you know, ways that you can find room in the relationship to be the weak one, 
Um, one, one of the things, it sounds stupid, but one of the things that, you know, I've tried to do over the years is, is if I don't have a tool in my garage that I need, instead of going to the store and buying a tool, I go to a neighbor and borrow a tool. Yeah. And it's one of the like little ways to put yourself in the position of weakness. Yeah. Of just going, you have something I don't have, could I borrow it? And so it's kind of a weird position to be in, but it, it opens something up that it kind of gives them the upper hand for a second. And so it doesn't feel like I'm come swooping in with all the answers. It's more of a relational, relational equity kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think that this idea of keep showing up um, is, is really, really important. So I think often when we think of evangelism or sharing faith, it's like, I'm going to swoop in, swoop out. I'm going to build everything up for this one moment, you know, this one conversation. I'm going to put all my, you know, everything into this one conversation and hope it cross my fingers and hope it goes well. And it's like, no, that's not really how it works. It's, mm. it's, this is a relational deal. And so if you're volunteering for an organization, keep showing up. If you find a workout partner, keep showing up. If you are supporting a neighbor in their hobby, keep showing up. If you, uh, you know, or starting a tradition with your the, the parents at your kids on your kids t ball team to you know go out for wings after the the game to try to get to know people keep showing up. But mm. there's that consistency I think is really important. And then the last thing I would say, just in terms of a principle of of reproducing discipleship, is just to wait for appropriate opportunities. And so again, like I said, I think when you we tend to put the weight of importance of a of of, of sharing the faith thing on one conversation. And it's like, when you do that, it is so stressful. I mean, think about it, you know, it's this whole the talk mentality with your kids. So we'll come full circle, right? Reproduction. <laughs> you have the you have the birds and the bees talking. It's like, if you put everything into that one talk and I'm like, I need to cover it all from start to finish. It, it's just the, the stress level is terrible. The awkwardness level is high. And it's like if this is more of an ongoing conversation that we can kind of get to easily when we when we need to, um, it makes it a much much better experience. And I think the same is true with faith that that we not push it or get pushy with it, and and have it more flow out of regular conversation. I think that's a really good tack to take. But but I do want to say we're all called we're all called to be reproducers. Yeah. We're all called to be spiritual reproducers, and that goes for us as, like I said, disciples, as leaders, and us as a church. And we're continuing to find out new ways that we can do that post-COVID that's going to make sense. That's so cool. It's exciting, like thrilling to know that, that God could do all of this without us. He could just reveal himself by himself sure to could. each individual person, and yet he says, I want you to be part of bringing people back to my family. I want, I want you to be part of bringing lost sheep home. And it's just, it's a privilege, you know? And sometimes we want to abdicate that to others, even you and I, you know, as pastors, we want to say, well, hey, we'll have have the people with the gift of evangelism go out and and share their faith and reach people. And just to know that we're all part of it, Uh, the way you do it is going to look different than how I do it. The the opportunities are going to look different based on the relationships we have, but we all get to be part of making disciples, of of introducing people to a life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with Jesus. That's right. It's pretty cool. You know, the other thing, the pastors and, and congregation thing is a thing, and I think even the introvert-extrovert thing is a thing. So it's like the introverts go, oh, well, that, that's an extrovert thing. And it's like, no, no, we all can do this in our own way that makes sense for us. So, yeah. yeah. Um, this has been a longer conversation than we planned. I've loved every minute. There's some people who, who you know may have checked out after just the reproduction part. <laughs> some have hung on all the way to the end. Can you give a little bonus microsites? 
what do you when you think about God using microsites to reproduce disciples as as a possible way? What 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 do you picture and what gets you excited? Yeah, so I you know I think that from the beginning the church has been uh, both a gathered and scattered movement. And I think one of the things that COVID has opened us up for us is this idea that, that you know you can have church in your living room. Like it, the church, we've said the church is not the building; the church is the people. So, if the church can take place where people are, it can be the church. Um, but there is a gathering component that's important. So, I think you know one of the things that's popped up around the country is we've heard about you know different groups of people that are watching our services together in a room in Rochester, New York, and in California, and in the prisons, and in a nursing home, and you know there's these different little gatherings of people. And I think part of our future as a church is to go, how do we um, embolden those people to do that? How do we equip them better? So, you know, is there ways that we can kind of send them a little package in the mail that goes, here's what it means to be a church in your neighborhood and, and, and to have all of the components of the church represented, not just our weekend services. So, you know, what does it look like then for that little church that meets in a living room to also have a strategy to have meals together and to do service projects in their community and to reach new people with the gospel? And that I think the church can be a full-blown church. Um, even in a scattered expression like that. And so that's what we're calling microsites right now, and it's very, very early stages of development, but I think there's something to it. Yeah, I wanted people to hear about that. I know you've talked about it already in other ways, sermons, and you mentioned it, but if, if you're listening today and that just like resonates with you, there's people in your life, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm ready. I'm ready to experiment with it, you know, for a sermon series and, and for the month, just have people to your house for breakfast on Sunday or Friday night or whatever and do church together. Um, as, a, as a step to introduce them, let us know. Let, yes. let me know, let Pastor Scott know, let Pastor Derek know, because we'd love to talk more about that if, if that resonates with you. Because yeah. uh, we do, we see that as, as a way that, that God's going to reach more people. Hey, we hope this, this conversation encouraged you today personally, and we hope it helped you understand a little bit more of, of why we are the way we are at Grace. And, and, uh, and we'd love for you to just leave a little comment or review maybe the, the part of this that uh, resonated with you the most. Let, let us know that. And if you can share the podcast with others and like and subscribe, it's going to let you know so you get notifications and also gets this, uh, gives the opportunity for someone else to benefit from it as well. For, for more information about Grace Church here in Erie, PA, visit whoisgrace.com. Uh, and until next time, would you look for opportunities to reproduce disciples in your life? God bless you guys.